Hello, my guest today on the Brandtune podcast is Emmanuel Pops. Emmanuel has an MBA in marketing and a doctorate in consumer psychology, although his background also includes 17 years of marketing and market research experience, such as at Ipsos, where he supports Fortune 100 companies to understand their customers' journey. He's an adjunct professor teaching consumer market research at UCLA, and he writes about consumer psychology for numerous publications. He's the author of Brand Hacks and Assemblage, the Art and Science of Brand Transformation, which releases this coming January 2023. Hello, Emmanuel. You're still muted. Good morning. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Okay. Hello, can how are you? Now? Yeah. Good. Oh, very good. Thank you so much. Can you, is the, the quality? Um, the, your voice just went. Uh, um, it was there and then suddenly you cut out. Say something. No, I can't hear you. You were okay at the beginning, and then when you said, is it all right, it suddenly went, the sound. Can you hear me now? Yes, yeah. Now I can hear you. It's, it's okay. perfect. Good. Very good. And the quality of the sound is okay. Yeah, it's great. So okay. I've already introduced you, um, and so I'm just going to welcome you, and we'll get into it. Okay. Okay, just want to check, how do I pronounce your name properly? Shireen. 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 Yes, and you, you're props, are you, your surname? Mm -hmm. Yes. Good. Okay, well, Emmanuel, welcome to the Brandtune podcast. I'm delighted you're here today. I was looking at your background and I saw that you did a PhD in the UK and your MBA here. And then now you're based in Los Angeles. Uh, how long have you been in the States? Shireen, first, thank you for having me on the show. And it's great to connect with you and your community today. Thank and you. I've been in the United States for 16 years and one week. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I very precisely remember when I moved. And as you suggested, I lived in the UK for a while. And so I moved to the UK on April 15, 2001. It was a one-way ticket from France to London. And oh. then as you suggested, I, I graduated uh, for my MBA in marketing and then a doctorate in consumer psychology uh, from Nottingham Trent. Okay, so it's very dear to my heart and I, I miss London and I miss the UK every week. I go back as often as I can. Yeah, I'm sure Los Angeles is great. So I'm delighted you're going to start this um, interview by delivering a 10-minute masterclass on how to create transformative brands and products. Is that right? Oh, we can do this. Absolutely. Great. Okay. And, uh, 
Well, the starting point is brands can no longer just sell products. Brands can no longer force feed us products we don't need. We as consumers are overwhelmed with options, products and services in any given category. And brands need to go beyond just marketing products and making tactical moves. Brands must have an impact on people. They must be transformative for people and the world they live in. And what this means is a brand needs to take me from who am I, who I am, to who I want to become, who do I want to become. And there are three dimensions to this brand transformation. We just spoke about a personal dimension, that is me, who do I want to become? And there is also a social dimension. So my world, my community, how can you make an impact in, in the community around me? And then the world at large, how can you make, if possible, the world a better place? So the first dimension is who am I and who do I want to become? And the second dimension is make a positive impact on my community. That is, maybe you can help the store owner next door recover from COVID by providing the store owner with advertising services that actually make sense after COVID to help support his business and the world at large. And that has to do, for example, with sustainability or recycling and upcycling, meaning as a brand, you're not trying to just sell more products. You also want to sell products that last for longer, that are better for the environment. And here you have examples from the likes of Levi's, from the likes of Nike, from the likes of Lululemon, and many other brands. Now, IKEA also started a program whereby you're going to bring back your old furniture and the brand is going to give it a second life by selling it to someone else. So recycling and upcycling is so important. And that's a demonstration of brands doing the right thing. That is selling less products, but better quality, giving those products a second life, helping the community while making a profit, let's make no mistake, brands are here to make a profit. So quick pause here, Shireen, and maybe I could take some questions from you or bring more clarifications and examples maybe. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, that makes me think a lot of products are actually not um, created to last. They, they're created to run out in some way or, or stop working. So you have to go and buy a new one. So that's quite a big change, isn't it? You're right. The, the phenomenon you are referring to uh, is politely, elegantly called programmed obsolescence, mm -hmm. whereby you, as a brand, will design a product for, uh, so a good example is in consumer electronics. The battery eventually, or rather quickly, needs to be replaced, and replacing a battery is the cost of the device. However, another shift we see, and which I illustrate in, in my book, Assemblage, is consumers now have way more leverage, way more power over brands than they ever had. So five, seven, 10 years ago, brands could tell people what to do. Brands were in control of the narrative and brands could decide that a product should live for only 24 months or 20 months. 
over time, you see people, and I'm choosing this word carefully, people, not consumers, people uh, expecting more for brands, from brands, talking back at brands, and frankly, very often taking control of the narrative. And this work, this works for better and for worse. Sometimes they take control of the narrative and promote the brand, advocate for the brand. Conversely, if the brand is not doing the right thing, people will campaign against the brand or even cancel the brand. So an important shift in this brand transformation is to understand that people have the power, not the brand. Marketers are here to guide and to inspire the narrative. However, they no, no longer control the narrative. And once you understand this and you have to live with this, you don't have uh, any other choices, you harness the power of the community to make the brand greater uh, and more sustainable and also uh, to develop the brand in the long run and not just make tactical moves to sell products on Monday. Okay, so if somebody's starting a new brand, um, how can they find out what, you know, the target market or who their target market is and what the target market wants to become, if you like, so that you can then transform them? Yeah, well, in... Almost all categories, you have plenty of options. Everything has become a, a red ocean. Uh, and that applies to streaming services, whereby you only had Netflix 10 years ago, and now you have seven or eight different options. And it applies to popcorn, where you have 150 SKUs to choose from at the store. So when you enter a category, <coughs> setting the obvious is, what am I bringing to the category what is my product bringing to the category that um, other products do not have? Importantly, how am I going to transform my audience? How am I going to make them feel better about themselves, better about their world, and better about the world? And I'll give you the example of Aldi. Mm -hmm. And Aldi is a grocery retailer that's doing very, very well in the UK right now, whereby not only it's growing double digits, but it took over Morrison's uh, in the top four of UK retailers. And the way Aldi succeeded in doing so is because they source about 40% of their products from UK British farmers. And when it comes down to milk, eggs, dairy, they source all of it from these UK British farmers. And in the meantime, Aldi advertises its support to the community. So this exemplifies a brand that is here to make a profit, is very aggressive on price, so are other retailers. Aldi goes the extra mile to tell shoppers, we're here to support your community. We're here to provide you with a quality product that you will be familiar with. That becomes a branded experience. And that exemplifies how a private label like Aldi is performing and taking over well-known, um, um, what we would call name brands, marquee brands, if you will, and doing so in, this is a win-win or no deal relationship. It's a win for Aldi, of course, they make a profit. Importantly, it's a win for the customers and it's a win for the community. So 
in my view, that's how to do it, whereby Aldi has not invented uh, grocery retail by any means, nor has Aldi invented steep discounts. What Aldi has done here is signal to the community that we're here to support you, signal to the customers, consumers that we're here to do the right thing for you and your community. Okay, so buying locally, does, does that enable them to charge less or how, how does that tie in to their business model? Yeah, to buy locally, it makes for a more sustainable experience because you don't have to fly the goods mm. around. You can just source them within a few miles from the stores. But also it sends a strong message to your local community, to local farmers, whereby instead of supporting a farmer on the other side of the world, I'm supporting people that live next door. And as humans, we are very attached to what happens right around us mm. and more detached towards what happens on the other side of the world. That's human nature. Mm. So that's the illustration. By doing so, Aldi supports economic recovery for those British farmers, supports the local community, keep that community alive, simply have your, your village and your community alive and satisfies this need we have as people to, uh, to consume something that is close to us, something that we grew up with. So, Shirin, you see this, believe it or not, in technology, it's a concept that we call data sovereignty. That means as a user of Google, Facebook, Meta, Instagram, Apple, we see in our studies that people feel better when the data is hosted in your country. The concept of cloud computing is vague to most people. Where is my data? And there is this joke in the industry Cloud computing is just someone else's computer, right? We see that users, as we call them in technology, feel better, feel reassured when their data is hosted on their soil. That is for you, Sharon, if your data is hosted in the UK, you will feel safer. You will feel that your data is safe and secure, more so than if the data is stored even in Canada or in the United States or in Norway, countries that you're maybe more likely to trust as opposed to random dictatorships, if that makes sense. Okay. So it's about understanding trends in society um, and then finding an opportunity within that that you can meet as a brand. Is that right? You're correct. If you want to do clothing apparel, you can start selling t-shirts, excuse me, <coughs> forgive my cough. Sure. You can start selling t-shirts, but hundreds of other brands already do this. What are you bringing to market that's going to be different? Well, it could be about the design of the t-shirt, whereby you're going to partner with a local artist. And now this t-shirt is going to become unique and uh, become an important possession to the owner. Uh, this t-shirt can be produced locally and that's going to serve your goal in terms of supporting the local community and sustainability. And also you can engage in a upcycling program 
whereby consumers can bring back this t-shirt, sell it back to the brand in return for a store credit before they buy new clothes. And in this process, you give this t-shirt a second life. That's also a very important trend we see that I developed in, in my book Assemblage is people no longer want brand new goods all the time. You see Gen Z, you see younger generations being very keen on thrift shopping and on buying used clothes. That's why fast fashion is struggling so much. It is no longer cool to buy a new t-shirt every since or eight months. It is more meaningful to give a t-shirt a second life and buy a piece of clothing that is unique to you. Okay. Well, presumably, well, some brands um, wouldn't, that wouldn't be relevant to them. Say, I don't know, um, take my, my own case. If I'm trying to provide an education in branding that includes intellectual property, because I find there's a disconnect when people creating brands don't really understand intellectual property. So at the very big level, like Google's, they bring all the disciplines together and therefore they can hear the perspective of all the different players. But when you get to normal branding companies, they often don't work with intellectual property lawyers. They create the brand and then they'll just get it searched. So that's what I'm trying to change. That doesn't really have a trend in it. I mean, so. Yeah. Um, I see on your bookshelf behind you, I think what I see is the long and the short of it. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and uh, for our community, for our audience today, let's explain what's in that book. Mm. Um, it's how do I invest in brand strategy versus what do I invest in tactics? Mm -hmm. in products and the bottom line is it's important for brands to do both so back to what you're saying Shireen when starting a new brand you're going to work on the strategy of the brand what is the big idea and what is the idea that I'm going to run with for three five seven years at mm -hmm. least and then the tactics the activation well that can change very often and that adapts to market conditions So yeah. it's important for a brand to keep its core identity. And I spoke about Aldi, how you can develop this vision over time to help the local community and develop some IP around this. In the case of Aldi, it's going to be about a brand names for their private label, as an example. Mm -hmm. It can be also a process. Um, in the world of recycling, you can trademark a process. You can do this. Then in terms of creative execution, I'm going back to my clothing apparel example. You can partner with Damien Hurst in the UK today, with Jeff Koons in New York tomorrow, and with a local artist in Singapore next week. That's totally fine. So the brand strategy is the long run. Mm -hmm. The short of it is the product execution that can change as often and have as many options as you want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how do you actually, if you were starting a new brand yourself, say you were going to start a project of some sort, how would you decide what, um, 
what would be a better way for you to deal with something? Well, whatever it was. Yeah. What is everyone doing in the category already? And I'm not talking in terms of products, but what is the market positioning these brands own already? Mm -hmm. So if you're in, um, if you want to open a new coffee chain in the United States, for example, Dunkin already owns coffee on the go for commuters. Starbucks already owns the third place meaning this experience that is neither your office or your home. So you're not going to own convenience. You're not going to own the social aspect that Starbucks. Maybe there is room in a very gourmet coffee experience with locally produced, locally roasted type of coffee that you're going to sell at a premium that is going to be way more expensive than, than Starbucks, potentially with less volume, but much better margins and a very strong product identity. In the UK, Shireen, a brand that does well, uh, that illustrates this is Hotel Chocolat, for example, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. whereby, um, here again, look, with all due respect, they did not invent chocolate and they're probably many times smaller than Cadbury's. Mm -hmm. That's not the point. The point is not to compete with Cadbury's on uh, uh, grabbing a granola bar on the go. The positioning is more gourmet experience. It's a me time type of experience. I'm going to take the time to appreciate this, this chocolate. And it's a mindful experience and uh, a responsible experience because of the emphasis on the communities. So that's an example of a positioning in a category that is, as with many categories, arguably saturated, yet, uh, serves a, a, a purpose and caters to a segment of market that is keen on this experience. The other thing Sharon is in one given category, we people are willing to access a range of options. What I mean by this is Hotel Chocolat does not compete with Cadbury. It depends on the context and the occasion. Today, Shireen, it's the evening. You want to relax at home, read a great book. And now would be a good time to make a nice cup of tea, very, very nice cup of tea, maybe for Fortnum and Mason, and have a piece of chocolate from Hotel Chocolat. If tomorrow morning you're running to go to the tube station and you need to catch your tube, well, PG tips might be just fine in that context. And you're going to grab a, uh, some Cadbury to eat on the go. So, you are not choosing, and I think that's very important. Marketers often think in terms of competition. Consumers, and I should say people, think in terms of context and alternatives. Cadbury does not compete with Hotel Chocolat. PG Tips does not compete with Fortnum and Mason. It's a different experience in a different context, and it serves a different goal. It supports a different mission. Okay, so is this like the category entry points that the Ehrenberg bus talks about? Sort of, they say, on what, why, why does somebody, when they're near the beach, they might want a Coke? So you are educating them to think about Coke when you're at the beach. Is that the sort of thing you mean? Yes, it's two things. Is 
one what I refer to as contextual commerce. That is what you're saying at the beach. I'm not going to um, enjoy the same beverage as I would if I go skiing. Uh, the the uh, Aaron Berbas notion you are referring to is this notion that people have pre-existing knowledge about the category when they enter the category. To explain for our audience, mm -hmm. when I want to buy some new trainers, uh, I don't just discover what trainers are about. I have pre-existing knowledge to various extent about Nikes for athletes, about Adidas and the sponsor, the Football World Cup, and New Balance is a brand made in the US and so on and so forth. That's to say that when you want new trainers, new gym shoes, you don't just go to the store and benchmark options. So it's this notion that in any given category, it's going to be the same thing in coffee, it's going to be the same thing in tea, right? You already know about Tetley's versus PG Tips versus maybe Fortnum and Mason. So you have to various extents, of course, but pre-existing knowledge about a category that is going to guide your choice and your expectations towards this category and this brand and this product. Okay. So how does, I'm really curious, how does brand hacks and assemblage differ? What made you decide to write this new book? Oh, thank you. Well, they have the same starting point, interestingly, that is people are overwhelmed with products and people are overwhelmed with media. Therefore, as marketers, how can we build brands that are more meaningful to people, that matter to people, and brands that we can build for the long run, not just make tactical moves. And brand strategy, a brand strategy that uh, will last for, for years to come. Now, the difference between brand hacks and, and assemblage is brand hacks is a, a, a practical guide full of tips, if you will, on what to do on a dime to build your brand, uh, which is, by the way, still very, very relevant. Assemblage is, uh, much more forward thinking in terms of what is going to be important for the five for the next five to seven years. And again, it's going to be about um, brand must transform me, my world and the world. Brands must make a positive impact on society, on my uh, local economy, on my friends and family. So assemblage is to arm the reader, creating those brands that are going to endure the test of time uh, develop a meaningful and profitable business for for years to come. And assemblage is also about looking at, uh, so there are plenty of case studies of big brands, but also very small brands, for example, Fowler and Ball in the UK, that is a, a much smaller brand than Fowler and Ball is, uh, they sell paint, right? Mm -hmm. uh, way smaller than Sherwin-Williams or, or Bear or any other uh, brand in the category. So you have plenty of case studies from brands big and small, and those are success stories of how to do it. And in that regard, it's a practical guide on how to build a brand that's going to last for years to come and make a difference in the world, make a difference for people and the world around them. Okay, so would it be relevant to somebody creating a startup? I mean, just starting out, or would they need to have got going already to benefit? Oh, it's very relevant to, I think that's um, 
what's insightful and what is valuable in assemblage is very relevant to a CMO at Nike. It's also very relevant to someone who is starting a brand next week. Mm. Uh, how am I going to position my products? What segment of what territory am I going to own? Am I going to own this me moment, this precious moment in chocolate of that delightful experience? Or do I want to own the chocolate on the go segment? So it's going to be important to brands being and small. And that is why I was so excited to illustrate the book with you have very big names, very big brands here, but you also have very, very small brands like a DTC brand in France called Asphalt, or there is a brand in the US that does um, Thai prepared food delivered to your door. Again, Faro and Ball, sure, they have several stores and they have a great market presence, but they're way smaller than their key competitors. So it's exciting, in my opinion, to look at the smaller guys that don't have 30, 40, 60 million pounds to start a marketing campaign um, and talk to the ones that have 600 pounds to start a, a marketing campaign. As such, yeah. I find that very rewarding. Yeah, well, the trick is really to understand your target market and really get, get a deep understanding, which can be difficult if you lack a budget to get a company like Ipsos on board to help mm. you. So, you know, do you have any tips for how people could do some research for themselves? Yeah. So hiring Ipsos is still a great choice. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And um, to your point, you can do some social media scraping, some social media listening. You can float your ideas among uh, an audience and test and learn this way. You don't necessarily need huge sample sizes. What you need importantly is candid feedback. So the mistake people often make is talk to a friend or talk to family. And of course your friends and family and colleagues, they're going to think that what you do is fantastic. But what's important is to get feedback from real people. And I would say, if you're about to start a product, if you're about to start a brand, no matter how small um, you, you start, it's just like when you write a book, it's important to have an audience first. You need to build an audience and you need to understand who am I going to present this product to? And that is the very number one starting point. It doesn't matter how good the brand, how good the product is and the market positioning. What is my audience? Who do I want to bring into? Who am I going to help? Who am I going to transform? Okay, that's interesting. So before we finish, what um, three resources would you recommend to people who are wanting to create a transformative brand? You know, podcasts or any conferences, books, anything like that, apart from your own, obviously. <laughs> yeah, 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 of course. Well, um, a very good way to learn is Marketing Week, AdAge, AdWeek, those publications. You can also look at media posts. Mm -hmm. um, those publications are very resourceful. They present a lot of ideas. There's also a website I recommend called the Challenger Project. 
Uh, it's from a consultancy in the UK called Eat Big Fish. And oh, yeah. the, challenger, the challenger project is an illustration of small brands that grow big by doing exactly what we're saying, finding a differentiated market positioning. Yeah. So the point here is that there are so many great resources you can access for free. Marketing Week, Adage Ad Week, Challenger Brand, Media Post, those are five great resources to start with. Also, uh, and it sounds like self-promotion, but I promise it is not, you can look at ipsos.com mm -hmm. as you will find plenty of data and insights. And this is not a sell because mm -hmm. not only you don't need to pay for that content, but in fact, as of today, you don't even need to share your contact details, your email address. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's very unique. You can go on ipsos.com and find insights in financial services, in Gen Z, in boomers, in CPG, FMCG, what have you. Access those insights for free, download them, and you don't even have to share your contact details. And, and the last one, sharing uh, and shameless self-promotion, but it's of course to, to read Assemblage, the Art and Science of Transformation that's uh, coming out in January and available on Amazon. Yeah, I've already pre-ordered it, so I'm looking forward to reading it. So what's a good way for people to get in touch with you if they need to? What's your yeah. best way? And, and again, Shireen, thank you to you and, and to our listeners, to your community for connecting today. And mm -hmm. I, I read my own emails and I, 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 I um, also take questions and people can find me on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And it's simply Emmanuel Probst. Um, to the best of my knowledge, I'm, I'm the only one. And by all means, I welcome questions, comments, criticisms from our listeners. And I commit myself to replying to each of you in a timely fashion. Great. Well, thank you very much indeed. Lovely to have spoken with you. Thank you, Shirin. Thank you, everyone, for listening today. Great. Bye, then. Thank you. Did that work for you? Yes, thank you very much. That was great.